Plato's Cave is produced by Muckraker Media. You can find out more at muckrakermedia.org. Welcome to Plato's Cave. I'm Jordan Myers, and today we're going to take another step towards exiting the cave by learning about the Zimbardo and Milgram experiments. I talked with my two friends from That's BS, Adam and Giffen, about these experiments and how they relate to obedience, authority, and moral responsibility. I really hope you enjoy this. Um, I learned a lot researching for this episode, and I think it has pretty relevant implications for modern day. So with that, I really hope you enjoy this episode, and here it is. Okay, so we'll start it off. Um, So basically, what I was thinking would make the most sense... um, for this and like i mean feel free to jump in if i'm like missing anything or or you think we should cover like a specific part of this but basically um i think what we should do is explain first the milgram experiment because it came chronologically first um and there are some there are some like discussions of that that i think uh like we can just go into on its own terms and then maybe like bring in the zimbardo prison experiment and then sort of like i think i think the the juxtaposition of both those experiments um, bring up like interesting questions we can discuss. Mm. Um, okay, so basically, so the two the two experiments that I'm referencing are the uh, the Milgram experiments that started in 1961 and the Zimbardo Stanford Prison experiment that was in 1971. So basically, um, I'll just explain the. Uh, the Milgram experiment, and I don't have any notes in front of me, so if I forget something, just chime in, either of you. But sure. um, so basically, um, Stanley Milgram uh, in 1961 was at Yale University, and he devised this experiment to um, look at how people obey authority. Basically, so what he did was he got random individuals. Um, I think, <clears throat> I think. Uh, there were there was a pretty big mix of people, right? There were like Yale students, but then there were also just people from the community at large. Sure. Um, and <clears throat> basically, what he did is well, he screened them first. So these were all psychologically healthy individuals. So there was no um, like mental disorders in the group that he allowed to take part in this experiment, which I think is is relevant. Um, and basically, what he did was he he brought people in to participate in what they believed to be a learning experiment. And what they thought they would be doing is um, administering shocks of various levels to someone on the other side of a wall or in another room who was basically what they believed to be taking a test. And if they got the wrong answer on that test, they were supposed to administer shocks to that person at increasing levels. Um, and there was an experimenter, like a, a someone conducting the experiment <clears throat> in the room with these individuals, um, you know, prodding them to continue. So basically, the, the, well, the, the, the reality of it was, is there was no one, the learner was not an actual person, basically. Um, <clears throat> it was just a recording that had been previously made of someone um, you know, getting the answers wrong, right? So the experimenter, so so just to recap, so there's three people. Well, there's two people. It was but just a recording. Them. I thought it was an actor. Uh, no, it was a recording because they, okay. I think they wanted the, I think they wanted like the responses to be even across all the participants. 
That makes know. sense. Okay. Um, An actor was hired to make the recording, perhaps. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure they they had a, a human make the uh, recordings. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> But an actor. It could have been Milgram but an himself. Act, yeah. That's, okay, fair enough, actually. Not um, an actor. Thank you. So, so uh, yeah, so basically, so they had uh, the experimenter uh, telling the teacher, and the teacher here is the people who, who were the participants in the experiment, um, pre, you know, thinking that they were teaching this learner, um, I, you know, I, I don't know what the what the actual questions were about, but basically, so the the learner would get it wrong, and they would have to increase um, these shocks that they delivered. So I think they started out. I can't I can't remember exactly where the shock started out, but it was fairly low. It was like it was like a twenty volt shock or something, which is uh, apparently um, it feels like a like a flick, like if someone flicks you really hard on the arm or something. Um, like it's not pleasant, but it's definitely not like real pain. Um, and they increased, so there was like a dial and I think there were 30 something settings on this dial and the, the experimenter forced these teachers to, to run through them all. And they got up to, I think 450 volts. Um, yeah, but they weren't. So, so what's important here is that they, the, the instructor, uh, or the experimenter informed these participants that, the shocks would be severely painful at the higher degrees, but that they were not lethal or or to be causing permanent damage. Although the highest rated shock was labeled, I think, XXX. No and danger. The, I think I, the one before that was labeled extremely danger, extreme danger or something. I XXX? <clears throat> Did you and I yeah, read the cartoon. same article? I think, I think... <laughs> Well, so the the other thing too is is there were there were many um like uh, versions of this experiment, mm. um. But I I so so okay may, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I thought the 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 highest rated shock was like XXX, the one before that said extreme danger, um. The one before that said like danger or something like that, um. So so basically, <clears throat> what would happen is is you know like they would they would shock them at a lower level. Uh, and like a recording would play of the guy going like, ah, or, you know, like just kind of like a, a low level reaction and each shock that they, um, that they successively administered to the person had to be increased in voltage. And then the, the sound that they would hear back got increasingly panicked, right? It was just, they would hear like the people would scream or the recording would scream, uh, you know, like, 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 ah, he would just cry out like more and more, uh, like more and more urgently. And at one point, I think he, you know, he said like, like, please stop. I have a heart condition or like, I don't want to continue with this experiment. And they would get more and more desperate. Right. And at some point the recording would think it, I think it just stopped responding. Right. Dude, I think at the highest levels, I believe like the response from like the learner was silence. Mm-hmm. And so after what desperation. Would, yep, exactly. And so what would happen is the experimenter would prompt the participant um, if they sort of, you know, like it was recorded that almost everyone sort of like, you know, would look up at like the experimenter at like, you know, like the higher levels and like just kind of look for like reinforcement or reassurance or something. And they would say that the experiment requires that you continue. Um, 
And so, you know, even when people distance <clears throat> to it, they'd be like, I don't know if I'm really comfortable with this. And, and they would say, um, you know, like the, this experiment demands that you continue. The experiment requires that you continue um, like a really impersonal command, basically, just to continue. But the important thing is that um, also they were paid uh, before the the actual experiment began and they said that um, they would be able to keep the money no matter if they stopped at any point or not so he kind of he kind of perfectly segmented out the concern of like getting paid for the the study as well um so basically uh unless i kind of forgot anything that is the the basic setup of the experiment and the results um were pretty bad it was so so oh the cool part is he had Milgram asked his fellow psychologists at Yale uh, how many people he thought would go past a certain point. And overwhelmingly, everyone thought that people would stop at a very low level. Basically, like as soon as the guy was expressing real like discomfort or, or the first time he asked people to stop, almost everyone thought that the participants would stop the experiment. But... In his first set of experiments, 65% of the participants administered the experiment's final massive 450-volt shock. And almost everyone, uh, oh, and, and in the first one at least, everyone went at, pa at least past 300 volts. Uh, some subjects were uncomfortable doing so and displayed varying degrees of tension and stress. These signs included sweating, trembling, stuttering, uh, biting their lips, groaning, and digging their fingernails into their skin. And some were even having nervous laughters or, or seizure fits. Uh, so, <laughs> like, people were, people were, I mean, just like, you know, really, really shaken by this. But almost everyone continued to a very high level or um, all the way. And basically... Um, from doing a little extra reading, it seemed like basically once you got past a pretty low level, you were almost, it was a very good predictor of whether you would actually go until the end, right? So like if you got past like 120 volts or something like that, almost everyone who passed that mark went to 450 volts, which is the final, um, which is the final level. So, um, Unless I'm I'm forgetting anything major that you two can see, I think that's that's basically the way the experiment went down, right? Yeah, yeah, it seems okay. like pretty pretty succinct. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I was so going to add. Oh yeah, go um, ahead. I don't know if you wait if you want to discuss this this moment, but sure. another probably important piece of context is like its relation to like Nazi Germany. I don't know if you want to touch on that now or later. Um, yeah, we can, we can definitely get into that now. The first thing I, I was sort of interested in, um, well, it, it does, I mean, it does kind of directly tie into that is it seems like, uh, it's, it's interesting to me that like the, the people in this experiment showed such extreme signs of discomfort. Like he said, people were, you know, sweating, trembling, uh, yeah. stuttering and <sighs> It would be surprising, I guess, if people didn't show those signs. But if if you were the person on the other side of the wall, it kind of doesn't really matter if those people are showing discomfort or not, right? It almost matters what they're doing more than um, for you, certainly. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Not sure how much you're going to be able to, like, you know, take comfort in the fact as you're, like, take your dying breath that he trembled a bit. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it it wouldn't matter to you at all, right? Um, Like, it it wouldn't matter to me at all, for instance, if I was on the other side of the wall. And just to know that, like, in my last moments, oh, thank God, he at least didn't feel good about this. Like, as I was just shocked to death. (laughs) (laughs) might give me one small modicum of you know a value i i don't know (laughs) might value it maybe very small but something maybe um but i think it's just it's really interesting that and giffen you can bring up whatever points you want to discuss with this It, it seems just like interesting that um you know i think to the victims and this is obviously we Giffen's already alluded to it, but this ties in directly with what happened um, in Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. But it almost it almost seems uh, it, it matters, but it seems pretty inconsequential how the people felt about what they were doing compared to what they actually ended up doing. So Giffen, what was your what was your like question you want to discuss about um, the Holocaust in general? Yeah, I just kind of wanted to tie in the context. Because this is that's like important context for like this experiment is like the the I don't know if I want to say goal of but uh, kind of trying to get a further understanding of how you know like quote unquote the average like German soldier Mm. um, would be able to follow through with what we would probably agree are just atrocious crimes you know slaughter slaughter genocide um, murder whatever whatever it happened to be in the instance. <clears throat> and, 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 it, and also yeah. to be totally clear this experiment was inspired by the nuremberg trials it was yeah it was yeah so, it began three good, months good after i think right something like that um i I, don't I, I just know that in the intro of that piece you sent us that yeah. they said that you know milgram was inspired by the, the nuremberg trials and immediately began work on this to yeah. kind of see the psyche of people <laughs> No, that's so. true. Um, so one thing, one thing that I thought was super interesting about this is I don't know if this was in the pieces that I shared with you guys or not, but um, what was super interesting, and this it, this is directly relates to uh, the Holocaust and and um, what the German citizenry basically did, is <clears throat> like I said, Milgram ran something like forty different iterations of this uh, study. And he showed that one of the the variables that actually determined how high people would shock their victims is the uniform that the experimenter was wearing. Mm. So basically, if if the experimenter was wearing like a very, you know, like well ironed, well fitting white lab coat, um, the the people would feel pressure to actually go farther in in the, um, you know, in the experiment versus i i don't remember what the other option was but maybe something like a sweater or like kind of civilian clothes you know sure um which is that was yeah that was true across the board for you know all variables that indicated authority you know like it was location whether the experimenter was present or not you know what i mean because sometimes Mm -hmm. they would like phone in uh orders you know but yeah so if there was kind of direct indicators of authority people were more likely to follow through all the way so yeah and it also depended upon the prestige of the university that the uh, instructor was was from so if they were from yale oh. uh 
the the people went farther than it was like it was some it was just some unknown university um was that was the other example um which i i just think is like it's i think that's extremely telling both for i mean you know the specific instance that we're relating this to which is um nazi germany but just i mean how people obey authority in general um you know if you if you, I mean, I know there's all those psychological studies that just show, you know, if you're like an attractive, tall, uh, kind of like, you know, empowered looking man, then you're, you're way more convincing to people than, you know, like a, like a small, um, unattractive, like maybe like overweight person, right? They like, there's a bunch of studies. Disheveled that appearance. Yeah. Yeah. All like, kind of like just, factors. Exactly. If they say the exact same thing, people will remember and respect uh, things said by people who are like physically larger and more uh, like attractive looking, which is just interesting. And also um, just to throw in is this kind of ties into the authority um, angle as well. Hmm. But if the researcher explicitly stated that they would take on any um, kind of repercussions for whatever happened to the patient then the person was more likely to continue rather than if the uh, experimenter said, Hey, whatever happens, it's on you. Yeah. So, so when people could, you know, pass responsibility, then they were more likely to continue as well. Yeah. That's a really good point too. Yeah. Um, great point. And it seems like, I don't know. I just, I think this is like, you know, it's a really popularized example, but I think it's popularized for a reason um, that if you, you know, if you're put in a position where, and this is interesting where it gets juxtaposed to the, the Zimbardo prison experiments, but because um, I, th I think, I mean, you know, what the Milgram experiments were really trying to show, and I think they did show quite well, was <laughs> like the mere presence of an authority figure telling you to do something is oftentimes all that's required for you to basically abandon your previous morals or previous um like viewpoints on things because i mean presumably i mean you have to you have to believe that like these people wouldn't you know like i, I think it's obvious that these people like were extremely uncomfortable with what they were doing and you didn't have just you know sadists who wanted to shock people in general participating in this study sure um, so it's just it's just super interesting um to me that like the the mind is that uh pliable uh just to be to be like kind of commandeered by such a simple thing as like a white lab coat and, and just someone saying the, the experiment requires that you continue because i mean presumably that's the crazy thing these people had to believe they were actually killing other participants right like that's yeah, you're not right. a it, far reach you're right well, there, there there was like a lower uh, point that said danger, but the final one at, at 450 was XXX. So you are pulling on someone with XXX at that point. Like, I, I want. I mean, I, I probably. I don't think I'd pull it. I don't know. But so that's okay. Yeah, okay that was okay, something you, I want to discuss too. Okay, yeah. okay. But I yeah. had a point. I'm sorry, Giffen. No, no. I wanted to hear your point as well. But I did want to make kind of like a best case scenario for. Um, I don't even know really what position this is, but kind of playing devil's advocate mm -hmm. um so one to compare again we're just let's keep with the comparison to nazi germany mm -hmm. um i think a soldier who is like told to like you know 
know, bit you against the wall, um, has a higher degree of certainty of his actions than the experimenter in like Milgram's experiment because he only got auditory cues. Um, yep. And um, I think that's important to at least bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, but, all, and, but also, though, I would say the authority is even stronger, though, when you're surrounded by people with guns who will put you down for, you know, subverting some greater authority like the Nazi regime. You know what see, I mean? I, like, I, 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 like, the, like, it's otherwise just an experimenter. Like, I, I'm not saying that there is an authority there. There is obviously major authority, as we saw from the experiment. But I think there's even more authority when people, when superiors can literally kill you if you don't follow through well, with I want to real quick just to like address Adam's point. I know this wasn't in I don't think this was in the show notes that I sent to you guys. But in my history of World War Two class, um, I, I believe this was in the book um, Ordinary Men by Browning. Um, mm, right. Because because another subtext of this conversation is the Goldhagen versus Browning debate on um, like the, the German um, civilians in in Nazi Germany. But um <clears throat> I, I I believe this is in the book Ordinary Men, but to your point, Adam, where the the German soldiers were threatened with death, that's definitely true, but it wasn't true at every point in time across every unit. Um, so, for instance, uh, I know that in the beginning stages of the 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 final solution, um, when when German soldiers uh, in the Gestapo. Um, were were rounding up Jews uh, to to send to concentration camps and even executing some in the ghettos. What they actually did was, um, I believe, you know, like the the German commander of each troop would say, if any of you want to leave, you can, and there will be no repercussions. You can go back and join like the regular portion of the army. Um, but if you stay, uh, we're, you know, we're going to be like doing some things as a group that you need to be all in on and and no one left um, in, in most units, at least no one chose to leave. And so obviously, I think we could assume that there are people who wanted to leave who probably like, you know, it was like there was a real struggle there of like, OK, knowing that I'm going to have to kill uh people that we i mean they might not have viewed them as people but even still like knowing we're gonna have to kill jews that we just rounded up i'm not i'm not actually comfortable with doing that and maybe some of them believed that it was a trick and they would be killed if they did try to leave but i i think you know you gotta you gotta think that there was at least a sizable portion of individuals who um who believed that they could freely leave but chose not to just out of i don't know camaraderie camaraderie yeah I, I so I, that's a good point, but I think that also misses the fact that you can agree to things without actually being in the presence of the people that you're actually going to kill. So yeah. like if you 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 can say okay I'm all in on this, but when it comes down to it, like yeah. to actually gas them or shoot them, you don't have a choice at that point. You've already agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah. so I I I do believe that like um like Giffen brought up the point that you know in the experiment people were only getting sort of like an auditory feedback. But my point is, is that once they finally get to the point where they have both the visual and the auditory, you know, and just every sense they're being exposed to the person they're about to kill, Hmm. they didn't really have much of a choice at that point. I know you're right. No, you're right. So, yeah. 
And and the thing about the experiment too, though, is I mean to to make it more um, to make it more visceral. I mean they they did have the recordings of the guy say like, please stop. I have a heart condition. You know, like I I'm I'm feeling unwell. I want this experiment to stop. So I mean, yes, obviously obviously it's just audio. It's not you know visual data as well, but. I don't know. Like, imagine being the person in that scenario. You like, you're hearing those cries from someone on the other side of the wall. I mean, that's got to be that's got to be pretty damn close to to knowing you're killing him at that point, too. You I, know, I want to push back against knowing, because well, yeah. Let sure. me let me make a best case pitch for one of the people who pulled pulled it all the way to the XXX, right? Mm-hmm. So, they have trust in the establishment that they're at whether that be like the uh university they're at whether again we mentioned previously that the you're more willing to go farther the more mm. prestigious the university so mm-hmm. you if i was if i was sitting there i'd be like okay well there's a good chance that what i'm being tested for it you know might be like my response you know i i highly doubt any kind of experiment would be allowed to partake in which people died so I feel like the risk of me killing someone right now in reality might be lower than just mm. in a vacuum. The audio feedback might be, you know, alluding to. Yeah. I see. I don't know about that um, because a, this was in 1961. So I yeah. think the general population probably knew very little about social psychology compared to what parts of the general population may know today. So I'm not sure if they would really probably. kind of, I'm, I'm right. that, sure that... On that point, yes, but I also yeah. think there was a higher um, trust in institutions in the early '60s, especially. Definitely. So, so that might overcome, like the you know, social awareness of social experimentation. Um, yeah. You know, with like institutional trust. That I think that's definitely fair. Sorry, like, Adam, that cut you off. Justify it a little bit, just like come on, they wouldn't let it happen if it was actually, you know, killing people. So therefore, you know, it, it's not perfect logic, but this is the kind of justification that some of those individuals must have done. Adam, I do. Have... I, I, I do agree with Jordan in the sense, though, that I'm, I doubt any of the participants realized that they were being monitored on their response, because I feel like that's just us in the 21st century. You know, we're privy to all these past experiments. So we know what goes on in social psychology labs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we, we kind of have an idea of what they're looking for. I don't, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I just didn't get the sense from watching some of these videos of the actual experiment. These people knew what they were being tested on. Yeah. So, okay. That's, that's fair. I think I'll have to give that point to you guys on that. <laughs> like the um, awareness of the, you know, social or psychological testing was probably super low, you yeah. know, if, if, if zero in the general population. Yeah. Um, but what did you think about the like institutional trust as a reasonable, like justification for going all Yeah. So I think that's a, a really good point, Giffen. Um, I, I think that in the past people definitely had more just general trust in institutions than, than we do now maybe. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, I can't really disagree with Adam's point that this is actually a really good scalable experiment because, as he said, um, obviously the, the stakes are higher and more visceral. Like you actually have to, you know, in Nazi Germany, people were, you know, shooting prisoners in the back of the head or in the face 
or um, civilians. It, well, yeah, exactly. Or civilians um, versus, you know, cranking a dial from the other side of a wall. Um, so in that sense, what what the, the Germans uh, soldiers did was more extreme. But also, as Adam said, the authority was more extreme. And you have to imagine the trust in that authority was more extreme, too. Right. So I think both aspects of this scale pretty nicely. See, I'm not sure about that because I again, I want to take it back to my like perspective I brought up earlier about mm. like certainty and like risk kind of assessment. Um, even if you trusted the authority, like, you know, you were just, you know, a super nationalistic, you know, patriotic German. Um, you there was that didn't really conflict with like the your certainty of of what you were doing now it might have influenced like whether you viewed the subject as human or not obviously um but again i i think if i was behind a wall i was only getting auditory feedback um i think that's different because there's a lot of uncertainties in that scenario you know if you're a soldier you've been you've been you know trained for this for you know month you enlisted knowing that you'd have to kill you well know, you, you a lot of them didn't enlist maybe. actually you know, a lot of what? So uh, soldiers did oh, not enlist. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I that is a very good point. Yeah. Um, I think it's also important to recognize, Giffen, that I mean, although these people like so, I, I think your argument is that participants wouldn't have assumed that they were doing any real damage to someone because they yeah. trusted the authority of the university. But I right. do think it's I think it's important to note though that they must have still thought they were doing damage. You know what I mean? Like, may, may, maybe not they weren't killing the person, but you had someone screaming in pain asking them to stop. I mean, I think that gets to a point where even if you have full trust in the authority that the person won't die, you're certainly hurting the other person a lot, though. So it's like, just because of an authority, you're at least willing to hurt a person a lot. Well, that's the thing, though. Some of, like... If I so again, if I was sitting in this chair, um, even even if like I had no kind of understanding of like the kind of broader you know psychological experimentation, you know that you know that occurs. Mm -hmm. um, so my specific understanding of like you know the probability that this was just you know an experiment to gauge my reaction was low. I think it's still within housed within like the institutional trust could be like a more specific, um, you know. I believe, like, I trust this institution um, such that I believe that there is a low probability that I'm actually hurting someone, you know, or that I'm actually killing someone, you know, the experimenter. But, 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 but I, get, Jordan, I gotta and, jump in here. I'm sure, sorry. sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, like, can't you imagine that we could, like, just tweak a few variables to experiment to get it even closer to Nazi Germany? Like, for example, like, imagine if Milgram would have said, okay, um, the learner in this case is actually a convicted rapist and um it doesn't really matter what you do to them like the we dehumanization exactly exactly yeah. exactly, exactly. Okay. so like we you know uh, whatever ends up happening to them here um no one cares about this person and before we go down that oh yeah sorry go ahead okay finish. no I, I was just gonna say like just by tweaking a few variable variables you, you've already switched the mindset of someone such that they wouldn't really mind killing the person per se. 
Yeah, I want to get think into there the would be dehu- some resistance to that. I'm sorry, Jordan. Well, I, I want to I want to get into the dehumanization aspect of that, but I think that we might also want to talk about that with respect to the Zimbardo prison experiment too. Okay. In okay. that case, can I make a specific point unrelated to like the dehumanization yeah, then? Yeah. Sure. Which okay. I wanted to table it. Keep on this. Yeah. For a little bit longer. So here's the thing. I think the people who did put the dial up to XXX were ultimately, you know, um, they they were probably satisfied upon hearing, like, understanding that they actually never did hurt someone. They never did kill someone. And like, you mean in the in the the debriefing afterwards, right? Or okay. whenever it became public, even if there was no deep, I, there, no, was, there was there, there, there was, was a debriefing, <laughs> right? right. You I, imagine I, if there was just send people out afterwards, just after like they thought they might have just. How was your day, honey? I murdered a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Giffen, the, that's the thing that I, I wanted to ask you about, though, is I, I think that the people's reactions betrayed the fact that they really did think that they were doing some no. harm. I, I want right? to put this within the framework of risk. Like, there's a probability, and the probability of them actually like hurting someone was getting higher and higher as time went on. But mm-hmm. there's still some like low, low chance that they weren't. And that chance was influenced by like their knowledge of the institution. Right. Yes. So, I, so, I agree. And ultimately they, again, like they probably, if, if you were in that situation where you did bring it up to the XXX, ultimately your um, trust in the institution probably was only heightened after learning that yes we would never of course hurt anyone like no one was hurt in the experiment you see what i'm saying yeah so the the interesting thing though is i think you know we almost sort of have a curse of knowledge here though because we're like going into thinking about this from the position of having read about the experiments um which i think puts us at a slight disadvantage in terms of understanding what it would be like to actually be a truly ignorant person in this experiment though yeah i'm trying to put that aside and i'm trying to be a little bit more quantitative like using Mm -hmm. like the risk assessment and like totally fair yeah but um that ultimately is a factor and like the trembling of people like you know influence that they were like they were fearful they were uncertain that what they were doing you know that the trust they were putting institution was accurate you know it was Mm -hmm. you know was well founded um Mm -hmm. but again i want to I'll try to make as more like a more specific claim and we can maybe comment. I think the trust of the participants in the authority of like the institution or like of the scientists or whatever. Um, let me, I want to phrase this specifically. Uh-huh. It was, it informs their probability that they weren't, you know, going to kill someone, maybe. Whereas, in the context of Nazi Germany, they're, even if they did have, like, they acknowledged the authority, that it was not informing the probability that they were not going to take a life, right? Yeah, that's, I, I would say that's true, because if you're going to literally shoot someone, it's a little more clear than... There's no yeah, doubt. You it's know, like, than, oh, than, the authority, <laughs> it's all an illusion, but, because I trust the military to not kill people. Like, that's that's not a viable excuse, whereas I think in, you know, the institution of, like, you know, whether it was, you know, a high-ranking university, um, I think there is that <laughs> probability. Hmm. It, it, is, is the trust justified, though? I mean, it turned out fine, but... What if I mean, it didn't? Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, German scientists were committing, you know, atrocities. And it, it's not that I can in, in any way equate the United States to Germany in this sense, but it's, you know, the question is, how did people know that our institutions were better? Like, how did they know that to be true? Mm. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, they didn't. They, so I'm they saying, so I'm saying what, like, was in it? it? Exactly. So it's it was not informed, it's probably. Like just faith. I mean, it was. Like, in, it wasn't like informed. it was informed by you know, a, you know, a million factors, you know, including, um, kind of just cultural acceptance and reverence for the institutions. Mm. Um, maybe like you hear news about like I'm not hearing some... justified things yet. But like, just you know, cultural, you know, just reverence. Like I, you, you can revere many bad, bad things. You can, you can. So, Again, um, so maybe another factor might be like you hear, you know, well-respected individuals making, you know, good moral claims from these universities as well. You know, like leading, you know, leading um, figures in the sciences or in kind of like politics or policy or society, just but making given, these positive claims might inform how, how, your trust. I'm sorry. How how well informed do you think these people are, though, that they were like you know, actively reading and staying up to date on, you know, different moral claims and scientific claims emerging from very, Yale? Very or, or, do you, or do you think they just knew of Yale as a prestigious institution? 90% like, of that. Yeah, because it's and like... trust in yeah. the fact that it would no longer be prestigious if there were, like, these horrible things going on. Maybe. I don't know. I, I'd say it was I, factor. I don't know if I can claim it was a high magnitude. But I mean, so, we can just spin this off into a broader, you know, claim about um, prestige in general. We can, but I think the interesting thing to think about, though, Giffen, is kind of two things. Um, it's well, one is interesting that there was literally no cost to people not administering the shocks in the Milgram experiment well, because, can, well, no, no financial cost. No, but no social cost either, because like this wasn't, no. you know, I say there's a social cost and that would probably be the, the one of the major factors because they had, you know, corresponded with some, you know, experimenter um, who, you know, was an authority figure, but, you know, also a, another, you know, another human, another, you know, American. Um, and you had given your word. I mean, they probably had a basic understanding that they were supposed to do this for science, even if it was like a super broad, right? Yeah, I, I mean, social cost in the sense that your community and your family and friends weren't sort of witnessing, um, weren't well, sort of witnessing true. you in the same way that you know your your army regiment would be witnessing you if you didn't execute a a, a Nazi prisoner in World War Two. Yeah, right? no, I would agree with that. I would say there's like, I would <clears throat> I think it would be fair to say that some of like the recognition of authority in like the one person, like the experimenter, would be like a social cost you would have to overcome, even if it was like yeah. nowhere near the magnitude of like your friends and family being right there watching. Mm -hmm. Well, that's I mean, in that sense, yeah, that, that's the only variable that Milgram sort of examining, right? Like is is social obedience. Right. Um, so in that sense, it's true. I just meant sort of like um, there is an emotional cost, though. Uh, yes. Yes. Emotional. yes. Yeah. 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 Um, OK. OK. So OK. <laughs> With that, so, uh, it, it also I think 
none of us in this conversation are, and this is what I wanted. I wanted to bring it back around to Adam's uh, claim that he he doesn't think that he would do it. Um, the interesting thing is, is that none of us right now are in a position to be under stress, under duress. There are no sort of, um, you know, there's no like adrenaline coursing through our veins right now. Um, but you have to imagine that by the physical symptoms shown by these participants, they were experiencing those things. Um, and I think that also changes the parameters of how people would act. But um, I so do Adam, think that's I, I do think that's true. Yeah. But I would also say that I, I it's going to feel like I'm sort of like um, evading the question a little bit. But I, I just think that in the 21st century, given how much knowledge we have of the situation, yeah. I don't see myself continuing to that level. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? Like, it, 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 even if this yeah. experiment had never come around and it was administered in the 21st century, mm. I think it would kind of fall into kind of that, that lame category um, of, you know, being a little privy to what mm. the experiment's about. You know what I mean? Without even like, you know what I mean? I, I feel like I'd have an idea of what's going on if I was told to pull the XXX lever on... You know what I mean? Like, like nah. a, 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 after the danger, I'm like, I. This looks like a pretty bad move on my part, honestly. Okay. I don't know. I, Even, I mean, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd follow let, that now. Let's but, prod you just a tiny bit, Adam. Sure, yeah. go for it. What if it was like, you know, given at your university, prestigious Cornell, by hmm. a tenured professor, you know, who was like running the experiment you knew, um, and he was offering it to like all undergrads to participate. Maybe the experiment itself, like the Milgram experiment, you like doesn't exist in this world, um, in this scenario. But like all of those other pieces are in place. He's like, hey, if you guys want like a point of extra credit, um, you can sign up and you can, you know, be a to possibly be randomly selected in like, as a participant in this study that I'm conducting. And it was like very, you know, vague. And then that that was the situation, the context within you being a part of this experiment. Yeah, that I change mean, your opinion I, at all? Maybe you would just I, put, I, dial one tick further up before you stopped. Maybe just yeah, XX. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, so so I th certainly it does change my perspective. I mean, like being at a prestigious university, a tenured professor, you know, proposes this experiment, open all undergraduates, sure. But at the same time, it's like um, I don't know. I just maybe I don't. A lot I of just faith you're placing in those terms. Well, it was only sixty-five percent. You know, so it's not yeah. unreasonable to think that you might be part of that that 35. Well, but I think it would have been even harder to be part of that 35 percent back in the day. So I'm not yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not even saying we're in the minority. I'm just not even sure if it'd be a majority today. That's I think that's my larger claim. I'm not saying I'm special here. I'm saying that I, mm. I don't think the, the vast majority of people would follow through all the way until completion in this experiment. I just I don't get Probably. that sense anymore. Probably not. Maybe, maybe not today. I don't have a good reason for thinking that, but I just, I kind of intuitively agree. I just, I just think, I don't think people are as submissive as they used to be. I, that I, might I think, be true. Well, yeah, I think one of the kind of major contexts around discussion as it continues is like, we do no longer, you know, blindly trust authority as much, you know, we discussed institutions before, like we have lower institutional trust now than we have, you know, in the recent past. And that's, I think, comes, you know, in parallel with general distrust of authority compared to, you know, 1961 or whatever. Mm. No, that's definitely fair. Um, 
Okay, so, oh, the, I mean, the only other, the only other point I was thinking about was, um, I just think you know may, maybe it's even true that like discussing this or learning about um, this experiment would make you less likely to participate in some analogous event in the future. But I mean, I couldn't even imagine being a like a participant in this and then being debriefed. I would never trust anything again <laughs> after that. <laughs> Even though your suspicions, any, any like thought that might have crossed your mind while you were like you know in the experiment, just like come on, like what are the odds that you know this institution would really be having people come out, come in and commit murder? Like you wouldn't be you know feel any little small you know vindication after hearing that like there wasn't. I think that you, I think a lot of people probably did rationalize it that way. Um, they'd be like, oh, oh, I, I knew all along or something like that. Like, oh, of course they, they wouldn't. But I mean, this goes back to the, like the question I kind of opened this with. Um, it almost, I mean, for a lot of things, I mean, the higher the consequences, the less it actually matters if the people do rationalize it afterwards or not. Right. I mean, like for the six million Jews that died in concentration camps, it doesn't really matter that much if Nazi uh, members, you know, kind of rationalized it after the fact or not. You know, well, <laughs> um, let given, me, let given, me make... given saying that no one actually gets harmed, though, in this situation, that you're told after the fact that, yeah, it, no, that's that, that you, your that you, trust that you, in the were, university were right. is vindicated yeah. almost. Yeah. If sure. you had any, that was like, you know, pushing back against. No, that's that's no. that's fair. I was just thinking, like, but I think it would it would open up like a subjective truth that, like, like, w like, holy shit, like, because because I mean, think about you know, you you walk out of like the experiment doors of the building and you're just like back on the street. You gotta. I think I would be thinking about the fact that wow, if that were real, I would have just killed someone. Oh, I'd be a wreck. like if like holy. You know crap. what I mean? Even I if you never went to xxx you like yeah. the the audio feedback if you like reflected on it like this was suggested he passed out yeah like he passed out from me yeah best you know, case scenario i shocked someone so badly that he passed out like yeah <laughs> so i just think that subjective that rude awakening that you are capable of doing those things under the right conditions would would now, I don't know how long lasting that effect would be, but I have to believe for some significant portion of the people who went through it, they just had a more skeptical mindset going forward, just like a bit you know, more. Yeah, I think that's fair enough point. They might be more skeptical to authority just because imagining they were closer than they thought they could have been mm -hmm. towards doing something, even if in the end, any suspicion they had that it was, you know, not fully the truth they were hearing. Yeah, um, ended up being true, like. That would that'll be a crazy experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So here's what here's what we should do because we haven't even gotten to the Zimbardo prison experiment yet. So we should do that um, real quick. But if I can, there's a two minute video I found on the Ash conformity experiment. Have you guys heard of that? No. Okay. Um, it's it's related in really obvious ways, uh, and you'll recognize that in a second once you see the video. But I just thought that this would be like a cool. Um, I think this would be like a very cool uh, addition to the uh, to the discussion. The Ash experiment is one of psychology's oldest and most popular pieces of research. A volunteer is told that he's taking part in a visual perception test. 
What he doesn't know is that the other participants are actors and he's the only person taking part in the real test, which is actually about group conformity. Please begin. The experiment you will be taking part in today involves the perception of line length. Your task will be simply to look at the line here on the left and indicate which of the three lines on the right is equal to it in length. So, for example... If the actors have been told to match the wrong lines. The volunteer will be monitored to see if he gives the correct answer or if he goes along with the opinion of the group and gives the wrong answer. In the first test, the correct answer is two. Uh, one. 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 Two. One. Once again, the correct answer is two. Three. 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 The ASH experiment has been repeated many times, and the results have been uh, supported again and again. We will conform to the group. Again, we're very social creatures. We're very much aware of what the people around us think. Uh, we want to be liked, we don't want to be seen to rock the boat, so we will go along with the group. Even if we don't believe what people are saying, we'll still go along. One. 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 Group dynamics is one of the most powerful forces in human psychology. Uh, one. One. So, um, uh, let me stop sharing my screen. Uh, so yeah, basically the, um, the Ash Conformity experiment is like a super simple scenario in which, like, obviously, as you just saw, there was a right answer. And just by other actors saying the wrong answer, you could actually get people to change what they believed. Um, well, maybe not believe, but what they profess to believe about uh, the length of the line. And so this is I thought that was a really interesting um, addition to the Zimbardo prison experiment, which we can lay out in a second, because it it does inject that social component of um, obedience that the Milgram experiment purposefully segmented out. Um, <laughs> that was a great video. I, it's kind of insane, though. It's it's a bit yeah. insane that people... I, I swear people were bigger sheeps back in the day than they are now, though. I swear. Like, I... Like, do any of us really feel that we would actually go with the group on that? Because that's a very obvious one. It's not like like a tough math problem that you might be like, I, I could be wrong here. It's like, no, I, I you, you're pretty much saying, I don't believe my lying eyes. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I don't think I would either, but I think that's because, so, I mean, there's a difference between what we think the three of us would, which not to sound like arrogant or like self-congratulatory, but like, you got to think that, talking about these sorts of things obviously we've never discussed this experiment but just um, you almost have to think that like always you know thinking about how things can go wrong and discussing different like ways of viewing the world more moral questions that has to sort of put you in a stronger position besides the fact that oftentimes we like strongly disagree with each other for like an hour-long conversation i think that sort of primes us to be people who are more likely to disagree in those situations anyway don't you think yeah that's fair yeah i don't yeah, know about the general population 
I just I, so I agree with you, Adam. I think people were just a little bit easier to um, persuade back, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't think people. I think people are different today, but I don't think they're that different today. That experiment just shocks me, though. Like it's, insane. it's like people it's insane. are literally saying, like, I don't believe my lying eyes. I'm gonna go with what the group says. Like, <laughs> so I can imagine myself wiping off my glasses on the first like pass, just like. <laughs> Like, okay, maybe this is just like like a smudge, you know, a little bit of warping in the light, but <laughs> some, I, I I do feel like I've been a little inoculated to kind of like, um, I feel like I would just say what I really thought, you know, but, you know, who's to say I wouldn't in like a circumstance? I thought it was funny because maybe it's just the way the video was cut, but it looked like it was like on the second, the second um, poster that he was trying to identify, he, he, um, he just collapsed and went with yeah. the group. Second, no, oh, he try. did. Yeah, that was the point. He he answered what he thought the first time, and then everyone said the exact second same, time. the wrong way again. And the second time, he just folded. He was like, three. <laughs> and that was just it's, amazing it's, cheapery. It like didn't even make any sense too, because he was vindicated. Vine. It was like he's like two, and like afterwards, the correct answer is two. And I'm like, okay, he's gonna stick with this. You know, his thought process. It was like, nah. Just uh, even well, though I was right, I'm gonna go just jump. No, you know, jump Adam. ship. That narrator saying the correct answer is two was I don't think that happened within the experiment. That was like the video producer that we watched. Oh, I think oh, Giffen's okay, right. So okay. He didn't get immediate feedback that I got he, you. Every, he probably just re, the experimenter recorded everyone's answers and then without saying who was right, flipped to the next board. That would be insane, actually. No, I, I, oh, no. I, I got you to that. that. Actually, that actually cleared oh, up a lot for me there. Yeah, cleared <laughs> up a lot. That would be a that would be insane. Yeah, <laughs> that man. <laughs> In that case, no. A good um, clarification, Giffen. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, okay, 40, so let's um, let's not quite let's, that cheapery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's bring in the uh, Zimbardo uh, prison experiment, and then we can we can discuss it a little bit more and wrap up. Um. Okay, so this was uh, a decade after the Milgram experiment. <clears throat> and um, basically, so there was this guy, Philip Zimbardo, who was at Stanford. He was a psychology professor. And he uh, did another experiment on obedience to authority, but this time the authority was arbitrarily self-created. So what he did was he invited um, or he he got people to participate in I think it was supposed to be like a two-week study or something. It was supposed to be shorter, actually, than what it ended up, or longer than what it ended up being. Um, but again, psychologically normal individuals, uh, these were all college students this time. So they were all of the same age group and same background. Um, and basically what he did was uh, he admitted, I think, like two dozen or something uh, uh students into this experiment and flipped a coin and this information was privy to the students uh engaged in the experiment so they know that their role in this situation was arbitrary so he flipped a coin and and um you know heads was a, a prison guard and tails was a prison inmate and uh basically he um <clears throat> let this experiment sort of run its course where he gave the prison guards uh, and this took place in the basement of um like the stanford psychology building or something and they <clears throat> you know they, they made it out to be to have the appearance of a prison they put in prison doors that locked with keys that were given to the prison inmates uh 
you know, the prisoners were, were given like prison uniforms. The guards were given guard uniforms with sunglasses and batons. Um, and <clears throat> they were basically instructed to run the prison. And Zimbardo himself acted as the prison superintendent or warden. And, um, and basically, so, so this is, so this is, it gets a little complicated, but basically in, in the past few years, there have been some details that have emerged about how far Zimbardo himself actually went in encouraging certain behavior. Um, and it's, it's more than what he initially reported. So what he initially reported was that he sort of took a very passive role and the, uh, you know, the guards began to like heavily, heavily psychologically and physically and sexually abuse the prisoners, uh, you know, with, with extreme rapidness to the pace. So on like day three or something, uh, you know, they were like, they were sexually hum humiliating the, uh, the, the inmates, um, having them strip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they had them like strip naked and do push-ups, uh, and and you know they they like they chained them with extra chains to like remind them that they were prisoners. Um, they they dehumanized them, and this is this is what I wanted to like inject this experiment for with the dehumanization conversation. Uh, but they they assigned prisoners numbers and forced them to refer to themselves as their numbers instead of their names. Um, and so basically, you know, the the experiment got so out of control and so out of hand that there were psychological breakdowns amongst prisoners. Um, you know, people saying like, uh, I watched like a video on this and, and there were um, there were people shouting, you're like, fuck Dr. Zimbardo, fuck this experiment. Like, I want I want released from this. This is insane. I don't want to participate anymore. Um, and. And basically, they had to shut the experiment down on day six. Um, and so so basically, Zimbardo painted this as he sort of set this experiment up and let it run. And in recent years, what had come out was actually the fact that he very much prodded and pushed the prison guards to act in malicious ways. Um and he kind of underreported that, from what I understand, in the beginning of the experiment or, or when it was released. So, I think we should discuss it with that in mind. But to be honest, I don't know how much of the details that actually changes, because um, I think it puts it somewhere closer to the Milgram experiment, but not totally in the Milgram experiment either. I agree. It does change the nature of the experiment. It de I, definitely I, does. It, it, it does in the sense that it's more about once again following authority. Yeah. Rather than just like innate human behavior, you know what I mean? Like that yes. humans will naturally sort of devolve into mm -hmm. um, kind of tyrants if given the opportunity. So yeah. yeah. However, it's still telling in the sense that the direction was able to sort of unfold at the discretion of the prison guards. Um, so I think it's it's importantly different than the Milgram experiment in that sense. Um, sure. But I guess it was just it, the the whole thing was super interesting to me, and I know Giffen. I think it was maybe Giffen or Adam. I can't remember which one of you that wanted to like discuss the dehumanization factor. But I I just thought the um, the implications of the um, the uniforms in this experiment was equally important to the uniforms in the um, uh, 
in the Milgram experiment with the the experimenter wearing a white lab coat, I think this this the Zimbardo prison experiment would have unfolded very differently if um if people were just in their regular day clothes, like in a t-shirt and a hoodie, just you know walking around in like sh- in like basketball shorts or whatever. Like it would just be different. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. And I think the dehuman. I mean, the numbers on the prisoners' uniforms is a direct relation to the numbers tattooed on on um, prisoners in concentration camps. Um, I think it just says a lot about how slippery that slope is um, between. I mean, because because the thing is, you know, th- this is what I was talking about before, also with. Sure, they knew that this was part of an experiment, but Giffen's, um, I mean, a lot of our like discussion so far has been about Giffen's um, sort of objection that, you know, the, the people in the Milgram experiment knew that they were doing this for an institution, and maybe Giffen was saying that there was some doubt in their mind about what was going on with the person on the other side of the wall. But in this experiment, there, there it was no doubt, there couldn't be any doubt because the people were right in front of them. And even if they knew that this was a, an experiment for you know Yale University or whatever, it doesn't really matter if you're beating someone with a nightstick, whether it's for like a Yale University study or not. <laughs> yeah, Stanford, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, oh, yep, yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, Slurring Yale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Got him. Yale's just like, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. <laughs> Season desist. But like, so what, it, well, like, I'm curious to hear what you think about this, Giffen, considering your sort of faith in humanity a little bit in the Milgram experiment. I wouldn't go that far. Uh, well, more faith, I guess, than Adam I, and I have. <laughs> what, what I will say is, well, I thought like I was more commenting on um, kind of like there being genuine reasons to for people in general to have trust in authority or in, in institutions more specifically um, my claim was um and in this case this does take away my like point about uncertainty specifically because there you know there's no wall between you and the prisoners and you're just like kind of cranking dials and you mm-hmm. know you're not like in like a watchtower or anything you you were mm-hmm. there committing the committing the acts most directly you know you can see the feedback in the person the prisoner's eyes um so yeah my my concern with the milgram experiment that concern um is not viable here Mm. if if that kind of answers your question towards me yeah it does i was just curious what you guys thought about um because i think the milgram the milgram experiment brings this up but i think the zimbardo experiment really sharpens this question of how, you know, like, because because Adam was pretty strong to believe that, you know, he wouldn't have acted um, in the ways that most people did in the Milgram experiment. Um, and I kind of agree with him. Like, honestly, I just I think that, like, I probably wouldn't either. But of course, that's probably what most people would say. Um, sure. And I just like so the Zimbardo prison experiment makes makes me question the robustness or the extent to which people's sort of like morals or virtues or character traits are determined by the situation versus you know some sort of like non-arbitrary existence in those people themselves right so like i i guess i just wonder because the people in the the prison experiment 
were psychologically normal people too. And presumably like these people wouldn't have described themselves as, you know, like malicious and sadistic. No one describes themselves disturbed. As yeah, exactly. Like, but yet, you know, in a few days granted with prompting from Zimbardo, but still, I mean, with, with mere like prompting from a professor, I mean like that, that is not a lot when you consider what they were actually like convinced to do. Right. Yeah. So, so I'd I just, say yeah. it's scientifically a pretty large confounding factor. But as like kind of like a uh, demonstration, yeah, like it, it's a pretty like it's a barrier to overcome, like for the actions. But it's a it's a relatively small one, um, and I guess there's two things kind of to discuss. Jordan, you brought up like kind of the point about shifting morals, you know, to line up with the situation. You know, mm. people would be more if they were in the position of power and they kind of got some sort of like sick pleasure, you know, out of like their authority. You know, they might be more willing to justify like actions that they would in a vacuum call like, you know, immoral. Um, and then there's a discussion about uh, you mentioned earlier, like uniforms and like how much kind of faith, like kind of or social status we put in just like simple aesthetics. Yeah, I don't and know it, if either of those um, you guys had a specific point on or wanted to discuss because I find both of those kind of interesting lines. No, they are. And it, it, the, the, the really interesting thing is not really how um, a, a uniform changes the way you interact with other people. But, you know, in this sense, in the Zimbardo prison experiment, how much it changes just how you you yourself act as an individual. Right. Like, have you guys ever had the experience of this is obviously a super minor version of this, but you know how sometimes when you put sunglasses on or you're wearing sunglasses, it's way easier to not break eye contact with someone when when you're talking to them, like versus when you're just like eye, like eye to eye naturally. Have you ever have you ever noticed that? I'm sorry, no, I don't I don't wear sunglasses often, but that's a really interesting thing. If that's a if that's really your claim, yeah. Okay, so it's I easier have here. to break eye contact when no, you're it, wearing. No, no, no. no. So, <laughs> you can you maintain eye contact for longer because it's like a barrier between kind of the content, like the eye, like maintaining eye contact with their person, kind of like it, looking behind a veil at them. Exactly. So, it's not yeah. you're not really like so I, I wear sunglasses a lot in like the summer months when I'm outside or something. Right. OK. Um, and and it's it's just I don't know. It struck me and I have to I have to hope like some of the audience is connecting with this point. But it's 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 easier to especially with people you know whom you aren't friends with or something because obviously like if you're just friends you're just you're just talking but if it's like a stranger or something um it's way easier to just feel super at ease um with just looking into the person's eyes both when you're listening to them talk and when you're talking yourself when you have sunglasses on okay um, i see what you're saying and it's super um, interesting to me that like the difference of just sunglasses versus not can change how comfortable you are with something as intimate as eye contact. And I just I can't even imagine how different being given like a, a guard's uniform and sunglasses and a baton would just I, I feel like that would instantly just sort of it it wouldn't make you just begin beating people, obviously, but it would I think it would um it would change your demeanor almost instantaneously in a mild way. 
I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I like that anecdote actually. So, like Adam, I don't really wear sunglasses mm-hmm. ever. Um, but that is interesting. I, I, I believe now that you explained it, um, and you clarified what I, my misunderstanding. I, I believe that it's kind of like something to do with, um, where we can derive confidence, like a kind of, um, dis, you know, information kind of. Mm in your favor like because like they can't see you but you can see them exactly kind of like yeah. biased information mm-hmm. sunglasses yeah sunglasses like that just makes a lot of sense that they provide yeah. some level of dissociation you know what i mean it's just yeah. I, that does make sense i i just i couldn't even imagine the psychological power that um like, like, I don't know, just kind of imagine that you, you have to think, you know, it's probably really it's it's probably an amped up version of putting on um, like a sports uniform. Right. Like when I because I used to play hockey in high school and and like, Adam, you can really relate to this, too, with like putting on our wrestling singlets, like in the act of like putting that on and tying your shoes. It was almost like a very um, it was like a super centering moment like like the like you know how obviously people have areas of their personality the more i feel like the more prolonged and the more deliberate and the more juxtaposed the uniform you're putting on is from how you normally dress the more it sort of closes your accessibility to those other areas of your mind right almost like a compartmentalization yeah almost of like behavior or mindset interesting what do you what think I about was, that, Adam? I, I, I think it's definitely true. And I, yeah. I'm just thinking about, you know, the extent to which one's exterior influences one's interior. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah. I, I think it actually like, um, yeah, it's a big influence. See, where do you think that influence derives, though? I'm curious I, what I, you had to say. I don't know. I just think if you look the part, you'll begin to feel the part. So... Or at least act the part and then feel the part. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Like if I, if it, you know, if I were to, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of like a, a different example from my own life here. A suit. Come back, come back that to was, me on this. A, oh, a, a suit's, suit's a good one. That's, a suit's a very good one. Yeah, that came yeah. To my mind. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah. Don't wear singlets yeah. frequently. No, it's a really good one. Yeah. So do you? I, you, you do just you have any change? Yeah. 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 Okay. You have, you're looking at someone, so we kind of were discussing it within the perspective of, like, you put on the thing, but we can even examine it on the other side. Like, why do we associate someone wearing a suit, you know, with, like, some measure of, you know, I don't want to say, like, necessarily trust, but kind of... Um, authority or, or... I don't even know if I would say authority. I'm trying to find the right word. Um, respectableness? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah. that's a good one. I think yeah. maybe the best... It's probably yeah. a slightly more accurate uh, phrase, but I think that's close enough. Um, like, you know, even though we, I feel like most people would agree, you know, horrible people can wear suits. Like, if there's nothing, yeah, you know, there's no logical strain, mm-hmm. you know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, anyone wearing a suit is, a, is good in my book. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, it, okay. it's an interesting thing though like how much we like really do internalize that association despite yeah. like there are no be- even if it was like there were no other factors you didn't know a single other thing about this person mm. but just the fact 
like if you saw them, you know, kind of like in a first impression kind of thing in a suit for the first time versus like in a world where you saw them like kind of just in sweatpants for the first time, yeah. maybe you know, not combed hair or something like that disheveled, like you would probably start to associate them with opposite characteristics almost, despite the fact that like yeah. the content of their arguments or, you know, their, you know, character in general would be unaffected. And that's the whole premise behind that show, Undercover Boss. Have you ever like, uh, have you ever seen that? Oh my god, I hate it's that show. It's, it's I, a, honestly, it's a I think stupid that show, show is, but I think that show is corporate propaganda. I despise that show. <laughs> Un- complete unnecessary like humanization of CEOs. <laughs> oh, I, a, I, I despise a, that show. This is it's probably a dumb minimum show, wage but, but... who watch that show and come off thinking <laughs> at least they're like me. As they're like milking them dry. Sorry. <laughs> Complete tangent, but I hate it. No, okay, so it's a dumb show, but I was just trying to use it as like an illustration that like when people find out that that person is the CEO, they treat them very, very differently. True. I- in some cases, yeah. I mean, some people are just nice regardless, but. Um... And some people don't care regardless. Exactly, but... exactly. No, that, that's a good illustration. Sorry, I totally went off. <clears throat> No, you're I've fine. only I've only seen the Key and Peel version of that like <laughs> skit on that show. I've never seen you, that. You've never seen that? Okay. I've never seen the skit. I'll watch it's, it after this. It's worth watching. It's, it's fun. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so the the here's what I wanted to kind of ask you guys. Um, and this is like we can we can start to wrap it up with this, but um, do so do these experiments undermine any sense that you guys have of control or of agency in in these atrocities so for instance i'm I'm curious if you guys side with browning more in the browning versus gold hogan debate um where you know real quickly and people can look this up on their own but but gold hogan and browning with these two historians um and and gold hogan attributes much more culpability to um the the german people uh, for what they did. And he argued that it was, you know, sort of something about like the German people specifically, whether it was cultural. Um, I, I think he probably deems it cultural. Um, yeah. and, and Browning says, you know, he kind of agrees with the Zimbardo view that, you know, it's almost there, but for the grace of God go I, that the situation determines behavior to a huge extent. And, and that, yes, there are two sort of small groups of people on each extreme where there are some small group of people who are true believers and there's a small group of people who are defiant resistors, but that most people fall into the, the largest category of obedient followers, whether they're more or less on board. Um, yeah, hesitant follower even. Yeah, exactly. Um, and... I was just curious how these, how learning about these sort of un, maybe undermined or, or didn't undermine your view of, of agency and, and responsibility for people like this. So you go ahead, Giffen. Okay. Yeah. So I actually wanted to bring this up because mm. I think when I first proposed this topic to you, Jordan, um, I kind of framed it or I had like read something that framed it in the way of, um, you know, immediately after World War II, kind of American you know, society kind of was like, wow, like I take solace in the fact that that couldn't have happened here. And then like, mm. it was like a decade or two later where it's like, well, really though? Like, I don't know that they're like, um, that it was exclusively kind of like a German thing 
it's more mm. of a human, you know, an authority thing. Um, so to make, I would say that I think I would make a claim that German culture did influence, um, like have an influence in like the, you know, the propagation of, uh, you know, terrible crimes and, you know, genocide, mm. um, specifically how it relates to the relationship historical between, um, kind of German identity and like German nationalism and mm-hmm. militarism. Um, but I will say that I do agree in with the kind of larger, you know, it, you know, largely it's only like a small, like, you know, propagating or mitigating factor that the cultural things mm-hmm. in a large, in most cases, and that, you know, most people, you know, Americans or German or otherwise would kind of fall under like any large group of people are going to fall under that same kind of bell curves spectrum of people in these situations. Do you guys agree or disagree? I mean, I, I, I generally agree. I mean, I fall heavily under the Browning perspective, to be honest. Um, I just don't think populations vary too much. Um, I mean, obviously one can say, well, you've got to take in, you know, the societal, um, perspective where, you know, Germany and, you know, surrounding nations had been, you know, anti-Jewish for centuries, in fact. And that there was, you know, just levels of hatred that had built up over generations. And I, I you can fully acknowledge that, but it's like, um, you know, given that cultural bias, anywhere else it would have happened. Yeah. I, I just, I think so. And even that cultural bias is sort of another, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like, exactly. if you That's were born I mean, yeah. into that culture, then you would probably believe those things, you know? That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we can generally agree on that point. But I'm curious to what extent you believe, like, if you have, like, an opinion, like, German culture specifically made it easier or, you know, more difficult for atrocities to be committed. I agree. I think it was probably an overdefined issue um so for instance like you know if you didn't have um if you didn't have the economic collapse that was you know um in the in the you know, beginning well that well, the reparations but i mean the hyperinflation alone um I, i'm not sure that if you had if you had any one of those variables removed if this would have if this would have happened or if or if world war Two germany was sort of like a a perfect storm um per se but i again i like to to what we were discussing i don't know like i don't put any of those factors on the individuals involved um because i i really do i take browning's perspective hugely i mean like it's it's i think it's foolish to assert that like if if the same conditions weren't like if you underwent those conditions that you would be any different like you you may be but you probably wouldn't be you know Sure. And I, I think I will say that there there are cultural differences, obviously. Oh, obviously. Uh, yeah. So so I maybe the same thing wouldn't have happened in the U.S. But maybe some different atrocity could have occurred. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's just like, you know, to take an extreme. I mean, just think about Japan during World War Two. It's very easy to understand, you know, the way in which they treated POWs you know, their willingness to commit atrocities based on their culture. Mm-hmm. Like it, it does seem that, um, I mean, this is a, I mean, they were, a, an isolated nation. 
mm-hmm. that assumed that they were the you know the the direct people um that that spoke to god mm. and that their emperor you know was a a, a godlike figurehead and that you know I, like there was yeah divine monarchy exactly yeah. so that, so there was really a a supremacist um perspective in in, in japan and i also imagine there was something like that in germany and yeah. and, yeah. and i and i don't know the history as well as you jordan but i i do imagine that based on you know the collapse of the Weimar Republic that, you know, people were looking for a scapegoat. And I do believe everything yeah. aligned perfectly for something like this to occur. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it really did. And I mean, <laughs> you know, also the fact that, um, during, during, uh, Hitler's trial after the, um, I can't remember if it was the beer hall putsch or the, the Munich putsch. Um, the fact that he was given six months, during his trial to um to like just pontificate to the crowds about how this was like the Jewish problem was a huge factor in drumming up anti-Semitism in, in the German population. And the fact that in jail he was basically given a secretary um and and was allowed to write um obviously Mein Kampf, but um other like just public publications. Um it, it ramped it up entirely. But but I think I think what you were like hinting at Adam is like the the under the undergirding um, premises were were things that no individual really controlled like the economic collapse yes. the cultural anti-Semitism so yeah um, uh, so the last question that I have for you guys is and we can end on this is <laughs> it's been like you know I think we all agree to a large extent that it is sort of just luck that we weren't put in these positions. Um, but it's interesting to consider what people could like what like individuals can actually do to ensure that they don't follow into the next, you know, the next example of this, because I'm sure the world isn't going to be perfect from here on out. So um, the the interesting thing is, is that honestly, I think learning about it is a really good fortification against against following some of these trends. Um I'd say learning about it just broadly the events would yeah like as a small mitigating force but mm-hmm. I really think at, like on an individual level like we we're talking you really need to like kind of internalize the fact that you aren't you know if you kind of start with the assumption that you could never do something like that mm-hmm. then that then a lot of that you know potential mitigation of learning about the history is kind of gone mm-hmm. because you can just je- justify your actions based on that false assumption I, know, I meant the, the experiments. Way. Yeah. I'm sorry. Say again, Jordan. I, I meant the experiments, learning about the experiments, not the history. Oh, I thought you meant like the actual history. No, no, no. I, I yeah. totally took that in the wrong direction. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I almost. Oh, mean in that case, like, then, yes, that would. Okay. Okay. Presumably. Lead I was to like, you. really? <laughs> <laughs> no. Like, you don't think it would specific- help at all? <laughs> if it's specifically about like the experiment, that kind of. Yeah. Necessitates almost self-reflection. So in that case, yes. Yeah. Um, I just wonder what extent people participated in genocides after these experiments came out. Because, I mean, I would say in Western civilization, there haven't been any genocides per se um, since these experiments were uh, commissioned. But, I mean, we still have, you know, like the Rwandan genocide, you know, in Cambodia, in Armenia... Yeah. Um, even even right now, you can argue that 
you know, in Myanmar with the Rohingya, the Rohingya population. So it's kind of like, you know, I wonder to what extent people need these atrocities to, to occur in their own regions of the world to really be affected by them. Mm. So like to actually have reflection on them. I don't know. Have you heard of Abu Ghraib? No, I don't believe so. Really? Okay. Um, it was shit. I didn't, I honestly didn't learn about it that much in preparation for this. Cause I didn't anticipate it coming up, but it was basically, um, it was this this section of the war in Iraq in 2003, I think, where yep. it it actually mimicked the Stanford prison experiment almost down to a T. So I'll leave this in the show notes. And if you guys didn't watch it, um, I would definitely recommend it. But there is like a 17 minute YouTube video on the Stanford prison experiment. Mm. And in the introduction, it gives like the first couple of minutes go over what occurred in Abu Ghraib in um, mm. in Iraq. And it's really, really disturbing, actually, how similar the videos are between the Stanford prison experiment and what happened in Abu Ghraib, um, mm. where regular U.S. soldiers in Iraq did almost the exact same thing to Iraqi prisoners that happened in the Stanford prison experiment. Only this time, they weren't prodded by, like, Zimbardo and an experimenter. This really, it, from what I understand, and... And take this with a grain of salt, because I, I didn't really learn about it that much. But from what I understand, this did happen organically. Um, obviously, the tensions were uh, way higher because it was two f opposing forces in a war. Um, so there's that. But um, from what it from what I understand, it was a very similar example to um, to the Stanford prison experiment. Yeah, I would mm -hmm. go, I wouldn't tie too close of a um, association between the two, both because, again, war on two sides is a lot different than a group of like peers mm -hmm. getting randomly assigned and you watching the random assignment mm -hmm. you, you you can assume that like the people that um were prisoners you know were you know trying to kill you mm. so that in that sense that's different and also i think the extent of the prisoner abuse in the um the uh, experiment what was the name of the guy zimbardo zimbardo yeah yeah zimbardo um that never really what was like the the highest magnitude of abuse oh certainly lesser i mean no one yeah, got killed obviously yeah because i'm reading this the wikipedia page about abu uh what is it grabe uh yeah abu grabe yeah and it and it's like torture rape sodomy oh murder. yeah it's like oh, that yeah. no people <laughs> that lost also, their lives i don't want that. to draw a yeah. false equivalence between like you know those two no no well. but i think i think adam's point from like way early on in the conversation though st does still stand for this i mean you know bo both both the stakes and the outcomes are ramped up. So it, it, it's analogous. It's not, it's not the same, but it's analogous. It does um, sort of undermine what I said about, you know, people committing sort of inhuman atrocities, even if their culture has been exposed to such things. That's because obvi obviously I would say many of these people that committed these atrocities, you know, in, at, is it at Abu Ghraib? Is that a location? Like, what is this referring to? I believe um, Giffen. Yeah, I think I I believe that's in Iraq. So, like, these were you know Western culturally raised U.S. soldiers. Sure. I, I mean, like, Iraq, what's, Abu, yeah. what's Abu Ghraib referring to though? Is that like I think location? that's the name of the it's a location? Yeah, of the okay, prison so, or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you still had people that learned about things like the Holocaust that committed these atrocities at Abu Ghraib. 
So I think going back to what Jordan said, maybe the best remedy would be just education about these experiments because yeah. learning the history of things doesn't seem to work, I guess, for people. It, yeah, I think it, they, they, it's, it's less applicable uh, to their own actions, learning about yeah. what, like, what other people have done um, in yeah, the context in... of like a war that occurred like 70 years ago rather than like here's an experiment that peers like you have done yeah and i, I and don't it's, know it's too easy to paint the other in historical contexts as evil also sure you know say again um, i just i think it's also very very easy to paint the other in any historical context as like evil right like um i mean propaganda at the time even did it you know like the germans were painted as you know like the incarnation of pure evil but obviously the german citizens didn't think of themselves as that um and it just i think it goes to sort of like the banality of evil um where most people who are doing evil things don't think that they're evil things they think that they're good they're just mistaken about what that is um, I guess I guess that even that though I guess kind of assumes that people have enough self-reflection to <laughs> view their actions as not evil rather than but, yeah. but I I would argue that or I maybe I wouldn't argue this but I would at least wonder to what extent people even analyze their own actions at all. You know what I mean? Like no, I'm serious. Like <laughs> I just fair. I just I just wonder if these people get caught up in evil things and then that's you know, definitely fair. I'm not sure everyone like views their evil actions as good from their perspective. I'm sure a large percentage of them just yeah. act. So yeah, like if you think about people who get caught in insider trading or something like that, I wonder if they're just sort of like, you know, it started out with like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then all of a sudden they found themselves just like with millions of millions of dollars, like, you know, just like riding on this account and their jobs pretty much depending on it at this point. I don't know. There's also like that one. Um, you guys might know the the uh, the vet's name. I forget his name, but he was recently pardoned by Trump. Oh. But he had, um, you know, been prosecuted for war crimes in which he posed with a a, a dead, uh, you know, opposing soldier like in a photo, and like did other like horrific things like that um oh it was gallagher right eddie gallagher eddie, eddie gallagher yeah yeah that was his name um but yeah and I, I just for a guy like that like when i hear stories about like you know what certain u.s soldiers have done it doesn't go through my mind that you know from their angle they might have felt justified no i think these are just bad people i think they just acted and didn't even consider consequences See, and, or, think... or, or or consider the nature of their own actions see i think I don't think it was just kind of like lack of thought. I think it was just misguided logic. Like these people probably thought it was, you know, either good or neutral. Um, like you have, to, I think most people at least have to come up with justifications, you know, even if they are kind of excuses to us, like, come on, these people <clears throat> that I was posing with that were dead, like they, they weren't really people. They they were, you know, cave dwellers, you know, they, they wanted to kill me. They hated like America. Like you can, you can justify to the point where you kind of mm. say you can, even if it's not like, you know, full justification, it's like, it's not that bad. You know, you can minimize it as opposed to just like ignoring it. See, mm. I almost think that it's sort of, I almost take like the Browning view to a, like an even more extreme maybe then, um, 
Because I almost wonder if a lot of these things are almost non-cognitive acts, which is to say that like people aren't even like they're not even rationalizing it, Giffen, or not even thinking about whether it's good or bad. It just sort of like the situation just creates these actions. And Listen, it's almost can, like people are vessels that carry them out. I yeah. would agree that like kind of the environment creates like incentives and things like that that makes it easier or harder for people to like go through with things. But mm. I think individually, most people like do have to rationalize. Um, but how much of that is after or, the fact? I is know, what I'm wondering. Thing. I, I think there is some inherent rationalization in the process as well. And maybe the beginning of a slight disagreement about that, because um, it's easy to think like, yeah, these people are just saying things after the fact, you know, and maybe yeah. they are in some cases. But I think that that doesn't mean they didn't rationalize on the way there. But couldn't we like kind of I, I could push you a little further, like to more extreme cases like who's you uh, Giffen? OK, um, so I know this is a little bit off topic, but just just to kind of push that line of logic, you know, what about you know, the doctor who was sexually molesting girls, you know, who were young gymnasts competing for the Olympic team. Like, 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 what sort of, like, like what sort of justification real time could that doctor have been making about touching young girls? I actually just, or do you think he just did it? Give an answer him, but I'll I'll pull up the name. I just listened to Malcolm Gladwell's uh, audio book about this talking to strangers. Really? Yeah, Mm. it was really, really good. I highly recommend it. Um, but go ahead and answer, Giffen. I just wanted to plug that book. Listen, I'm not going to say I agree with the actions, obviously. No, of course not. But in, in, if I'm trying to like think about what he would, what what he would have rationalized, it probably would have been just like a minimization of the bad things and kind of like an exaggeration of the good things, right? Like, um, you know, the the bad things. Like, listen, everyone has like sexual desires, right? You can't really control them. Everyone kind of has a general understanding. Of that, you know, it, it's, it can't be, like, that bad. It's, like, I'm not really doing harm. Like, you could just imagine, like, just make atrocious, like, it's like, listen, it's not like I'm, like, killing anyone. I'm not even really hurting anyone, you know? Mm. Um, and this, obviously, kind of comparing it to, like, an ex- even worse extreme and, like, minimizing the actual bad, you know, obviously, this is, like, a, you know, horrific, you know, human being with horrific actions but I, I do think that along the way you know maybe a lot of that was done even before the actual incident inc- incidents incident yeah one of the words <laughs> um a lot of that might have been you know built up over time it's not like he was in the situation and then he started all of this you know pontification a lot of it was probably like kind of subtle kind of in the previous 20 years let's say kind of like you know dulling himself to like that kind of you know the the magnitude of the wrongness so I, I i get what you're going for here but i guess my real point here is trying to find a you know s- some portion of the population that doesn't actually view their actions as right and can't justify them as right so i i can even push it to even you know more extreme like like what about someone that just you know rapes and then dismembers young women right it's hard for me to imagine that that person actually is able to justify their own actions See, besides the fact that they you know they don't care what happens to the person and 
they want to live out their own, you know, sexual or, you know, um, yeah, horrific uh, fantasies. Sure, what, whatever. But so here's what I'll say. It's not only that you can justify saying that you're right. It's sometimes it's enough just to like minimize the bad. Like it's not as bad as you think it is, right? And that just like might be enough. Um, in this case, he might be like, "Listen, like I, I'm not going to say it's like you know right of me to like dismember people, um, but like you could. I don't know. I'm trying to get ahead of like a sociopath here yeah but it could yeah, be but worse it's like well, I, I i don't see how it could be worse i mean yeah like, but it's not i think even, that's like, almost a different worse. question like if we get too extreme and like too sociopathic it seems to kind of break down the like the question of because i mean everything we've been talking about is about how ordinary people will do terrible things right and if you kind of paint the picture of like a sociopath then if you tweak their psychology too much i think it's maybe almost like it's crossing like a border into a discussion of sociopaths instead of normal people. That's true, but I That's believe I, I do believe the nature of the question has changed, though. I think your 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 issue is with how this began, but I think this has evolved into: Do people find justifications for their actions? And I'm not convinced across the board people do. Yeah, like I, think... I I do believe people act, and you know may later find justifications but i don't believe people have well thought out reasons for what they do see but i, think, I bet I, I sort of agree with that always i think i would agree like kind of broadly but with like kind of the asterisk that i think people kind of do do rationalizations and it doesn't necessarily need to be like i acted this way and it is good because of these reasons it could be as simple as like listen i know like it's not as bad as it seems is sometimes enough. Like, listen, the, whatever good I was doing or whatever, like end result came of it, you know, kind of maybe exaggerate that a little bit and like minimize the bad is enough to kind of, you know, smooth out like that difference, smooth out, you know, worries. Mm -hmm. I think people do have to do that. Even if it's not like during an action, like prior to kind of might set the stage for that. And during, I think people do justify it a little bit. Do in a lot of cases people act and then have to rationalize afterwards? Yeah. But um, you kind of have to imagine these people who are like not even like the eager killers, but like the barely reluctant killers in Nazi Germany. You you can't like they had to have rationalized or had it rationalized for them, like throughout most of their life. Whether it's through like kind of nationalistic zeal, uh kind of militaristic praise, you know, dehumanization of Jews like those are all rationalizations. Like there's mm -hmm. clearly a lack of logic there scientifically and otherwise and morally, yeah. but there are rationalizations that precede the action. And I guess that's my problem. Okay. Okay. But just not make sense. Not necessarily not, conscious ones too. These, there could be subconscious rationalizations well, made that subconscious you know, behavior. I think subconscious factors might influence, but I think I do think there is a conscious rationalization in its cases, even if, well, it depends on what you mean. Like, if you have, like, a preconceived notion just from, like, your culture or your upbringing that, like, you know, Jews are less than human, then you bring that up consciously as a justification to yourself, even if it's, like, internal, like, dialogue. Um, that's a, I'd call that a conscious rationalization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is tough. 
Yeah, I will. I will say that it is tough because I, I we can't get in the heads of these people. We, yeah. we really can't. I so yeah. I I do understand where you're coming from, though. Yeah, I'm, I just try, I'm trying to add a little bit of nuance. I I do agree that a lot of times people do just. Kind I of guess it, I guess I'm just not fully convinced people justify real time their actions always and um, especially horrific acts, to be honest. But I think people. That's fair. I, my my argument might break down with. But but war. mine might too. I so I I because we can't get it's inside the say. heads of these yeah. people. Yeah. You know, I I don't know if Gallagher might have been thinking the exact same thing you said that he might have been thinking. Well, you know, these are, you know, I'm not saying this. I'm saying Gallagher might have said this, but internally, but he might have thought, you know, these are Arab dogs that wanted to take my life, that want to take the life, you know, the lives of the people that I care about, and this is pretty much like a like a hunt in a way. And after, after they're dead, I take a photo with the, you know, with my, with my kill. So maybe he did think that, or maybe he was just an idiot who decided he wanted to pose with a corpse. I don't mm-hmm. know. What do you think? Like, what do you actually think in this case? What, I know you might I not actually, know. Well, that's what do I, you, think, you think he just kind of was like acting and then in hindsight was kind of like justifying it. Or do you think he like was actively justifying it throughout I think there was an underlying hatred of Middle Easterners based on his background and his prior statements that influenced that action real time such that he could or could not have been justifying, you know, taking a picture with the with the with the uh, with a corpse. I, I think I think it's equally possible that he could have just been like shot someone. Let's take a photo. Doesn't even consider it. See, because I think he had to have rationalized it. Just even like a small, just like, listen, this is a dog. Like, it's maybe. Like, I, I think there was at least a little bit. I, I think it's, yeah. I think it's, I don't want to say quite dangerous, but I think it's bad to just kind of like assume that people are just kind of acting blindly because it's mm-hmm. almost like taking away their like. I think um, it's comforting to think that. Yeah, that, exactly. And I couldn't have done Jordan, that. That's a, perfect yeah. i was looking for these words to describe it it is comforting yeah. to think that they're just acting and then kind of like <gasps> and then like you know just kind of covering for themselves but i think well, the, the harsher truth is that these people have been rationalizing their thoughts well, and then when they had the time to act they acted and they had the rationalization path already well no giffen i was saying i think it's comforting to think that this guy was like evil in some sense or like a bad person intrinsically because i i think the the uncomfortable oh i see truth, i think the uncomfortable truth is that like I just don't think any of us know how easy it is to slip into because like, I don't know. Here's the thing is like this is in no way to justify what that guy did. What that guy did is like heinous and despicable. But we like here's the thing like think about him a hero. But sorry. That's disgusting. Well, (laughs) but like but think about like the average like think about how we spend like our days like we do not know what real stress is like compared to like imagine if we were uh, the three of us were drafted uh right now into the US military put through boot camp uh the entire time knowing that at the end of it we were going to go to Iraq or Afghanistan and have to fight for our lives right imagine just like the fear of being being you know i don't know deployed there for months or years i just think I think it's really comforting to believe that someone who could do something like that has some intrinsic evil to him and that we couldn't do that. But I just don't know if we can know that or not. 
No, um, I agree. I don't really, I, yeah. I disagree entirely with the notion of kind of like a dichotomy between like, you know, good and evil. Like, yeah. cause it's, if you kind of internalize the fact that like, you know, there is a such thing as like, there's like a drop of like, you know, black icker that it's like within someone's soul. Yeah. Then you can like, you can, you're like imagining in your head evil associating with like kind of like, outside of reality so you'll never identify you'll I, yeah. you'll never identify when it truly is there yeah. right the, the I, scary part that is hard to believe but the hard truth is that a lot of like these germans weren't just like evil they weren't born with the evil gene they were just you know complacent or complicit or you know not good enough in their actions complacent mm. complicit whatever complicit yeah yeah i think that might be a good place they're to just end humans on. like you yeah yeah i i just i think that might be a good place to end on which is i think the only thing that you can do is basically like i don't know try to learn about experiments like this try to understand your own mind by being like introspective i don't know it's probably one of the best um buttresses you can have against against acting immorally um damn this is a long episode but i thought it was a good one i didn't yeah. expect it to go this long um, yeah, this was good all right. Well, yeah. um, to everyone listening, I hope you also enjoyed it. And um, uh, please, uh, if you want to learn more, um, I'll leave links in the description to all of the videos and articles um, that we referenced. Um, so thank you for watching. Well, I hope you learned something from that episode and enjoyed listening to it. All of the show notes for the videos and the articles um, and the books we referenced and the background information can be found in the description below. If you want to support me and my work, um, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Jordan Myers. And everything that you donate on there will go towards funding the show and more episodes. Um, you can also help me out in non-monetary ways by sharing this show on Twitter or on social media. Um, you can rate it on Apple Podcasts. You can like this video or subscribe on your RSS feed or on YouTube. You can discuss this on your own show and comment um, on the video on YouTube or contact me um, with recommended guests or topics to cover. You can contact me at Plato's Cave Podcast at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore C underscore Myers. And as always, thank you so much for listening and continue struggling to escape the cave. Thanks and tune in next time. Plato's Cave is produced by Muckraker Media. You can find out more at muckrakermedia.org.